Hi, I'm Mike Shea with the DM's Deep Dive, uh, right here on the Don't Split the Pagcast Network, and my entire screen just went blank. Oh, there we are. What the hell was that? That was really weird. Uh, and I am here with my friend Teos Abadia. Teos, would you like to describe to, to describe yourself? Please physically describe yourself. Yeah. About six feet tall. All right, good enough. <laughs> uh, what have you done that makes you worthy of being on this show? Well, right. uh, the thing I'm most proud of is that I continue to write for organized play and contribute to it. That's a big love of mine. Um, I have done a number of really cool projects I've been fortunate to do. Uh, reinventing the D&D Open last year and the year before that. That was super fun. Um, then I've written some pretty big adventures, or as I should say, adventures for big events. So the first D&D uh, Epic for Adventures League and Confrontation at Candlekeep that was at Gen Con and PAX and other places. Uh, and then I uh, wrote this uh, Vault of the Draculich with this really cool guy called Mike Shea and another yeah. guy called Scott Fitzgerald Gray. Um, I'm experimenting with doing my own stuff. So I've got uh, Adamantine Chef, which is an adventure I wrote that's a lot of fun. And then I have um, Jungle Treks that I just put out that supports Tomb of Annihilation. And that was co-written with the awesome Eric Mengi. That is awesome. Really? Yeah, sure. Yeah, the whole thing died right as we got started. Okay, so do I hang up in the restart? All right. That image looks awesome. <laughs> hey, am I back? Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, is the show back on? All right. Awesome. Yeah. So, Teos, uh, it is. I, I, I give you. I give you crap only because I love. Um, there is nothing cooler to me. Like I think it was Origins where I saw you on like the upper balcony of like 130 tables, just watching. You know, 130 groups playing a game that you had written, and I can't imagine how kind of cool that is. And I don't. That's not like the only time I've seen you do it. You know, you did it at. Uh, uh, you did it at Gen Con, you know, I've just seen it everywhere. So you're, when, when it comes to, like, you know, smart D&D folks, just to be nice to other people, I'll say, like, you're definitely in my top five favorite smart D&D folks. And, and really, I'm saying that so no one else is insulted. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate that. Um, it, I feel that way about you. You are always leading the area uh, of how to be a part of the Internet and how to... Um, 
talk about D&D online and explore this cool hobby of ours. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, I, I, I don't exactly know why I've been as lucky as I have been to be involved in all the cool things, but I really appreciate it. Um, really has been great. Yeah, it really has. So today, uh, to dive deep, we're going to talk uh, specifically about encounter building. Uh, this is something that you and I have talked about in on Twitter and in various forums for a long time. Um, both you and I having played, you know, uh, you know, I think, God, I don't know how many versions of D&D, but a ton of different versions of D&D. But I think both of us were pretty heavy into 4E. And now with 5E, we're in, 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 it's my belief that we're seeing a new sort of a new way of looking at encounters. And I thought it was time to to kind of look at that, you know, look at that specific problem. So I thought we would, well, actually, based on your idea, I won't, I won't say, I, I thought of this great idea right after I read your email about it earlier today. Um, let's actually quickly build an encounter. Yeah. So uh, go, what kind of, what, 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 what encounter do you have in your in your mind? So the first thing that came to mind when uh, you and I were throwing around emails was, Etnids. Etnids. It's like a classic creature. It's a lot of fun. And the moment I thought Etnids, so, so here, and let's kind of take a step back. So what I do when I create an encounter is I start always with the concept. Yep. I don't start with numbers or anything like that. I'm not, you know, going to hunt through numerically. I'm going to think of an idea. And so let's say I'm running a campaign. I have third level characters. Uh, and, but in my mind is Etnids. And in fact, as I thought of Etnids, what came to mind was the hook or the interesting part of it could be that um, you know how you have like a squabbling family. What if you had two Ettons and each of the heads was like family members? And so like one head on one Etton likes the one head on the second Etton, but doesn't like its own other head, if that makes right. sense. Right. So that might be where I start, you know, with just kind of a crazy idea of like create a dysfunctional family with two Ettons. So uh, that's awesome. So, so a question for you, and and I, I like that you know you brought up specifically that you started with the situation, right? Um, I think in in kind of numerous times that I've sort of looked at this idea and talked to DMs about it, and you know poked folks on Facebook and Twitter about how we go about building encounters. That was prevalent. The idea of start with the story. Yeah. Right. What's the story of it? Uh, but one thing that's interesting in your mind, did you already have an idea that it's going to be a role play encounter or a combat encounter? Or is it like, hey, whatever, we're going to see where it goes? Uh, I haven't thought about that. But um, with something like an Etten, where, where the, you know, kind of stereotypically the heads have these different kind of personalities, there's an opportunity there for a lot of role playing to, to come out about. Like, you're going to have these various heads and they're members of a family. They sh there should be a, a reason why they talk to one another. Like, they disagree about something that maybe the party can use against them. Uh, maybe they hold a big secret. You know, might not even have to truly defeat them. If you can just get the secret out, but the heads disagree as to whether to share it or not, you know, that mm -hmm. could be really fun. Mm -hmm. um, do you think, so I, 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 I feel like on, um, and again, I don't, I don't really have a lot to back this up other than conversations I've had. Um, but I feel like people often start with, I want to make a combat encounter and I want to, I want to have Ettons and now I got to figure out mathematically how many Ettons I'm supposed to have. Sure. Um, in, in your mind, like you, you haven't even started down that road yet. You know, is there a point where you're like, you know, I'm not sure that two Ettons is, that might be too much for a group of third level characters or they're going to walk over those Ettons. 
Yes, I mean, you know, I I know enough about uh, creating encounters to to know that two ends probably won't work, right? But that might be where my brain first goes. And then I might have to figure out how to change that around once I get to the math. But probably before I get to the math, you know, a lot of what I do when I do encounter design, um, I will start with a piece of paper. And I, because I, I usually am doing something else. I might be at my kid's soccer game or something like that. And I have, you know, paper and a folder and I am jotting ideas and something about these Ettons. And I might think like, you know, what's a cool setting for them? Like maybe I'm in a, uh, an ancient, you know, this used to the, a primeval forest, huge, enormous tree trunks, cool setting like that, but kind of multi-level. In fact, maybe it's a ruin of what used to be an elven city. So you take one of those Lord of the Rings type uh, beautiful ideas with all the walkways and stuff like that, and that, but it's all ruined. So now you've got reasons why the party might be able to climb up to like the top of the Etten's level, head level. Um, there might be some jumping and swinging involved, maybe even some, um, you know, like, I don't know, rotten steps or rope ladders or things like that. So you, you know, that, you know, that might be where I start kind of thinking like, okay, once I get that idea in place, um, I've got a lot that seems compelling and engaging. And, and for me, encounter design, engaging is the big sort of word. Um, like uh, things like balance and so on that are important, but like I want it to be engaging, right? Because the DM can always find ways to handle a lack of balance around the chair. I've got maybe a tiny bit of exploration somewhat. Yeah. No, no problem. Ah, sorry about that. (laughs) Ah, So I was saying, like, if we, um, well, what's the last you heard? Ah, something about Ettons. Okay. So let's say we have no. The two Ettons were the two Ettons were arguing with one another. We were trying to discuss whether or not the um, uh, like two Ettons would be too hard for a third level group, and what would the Ettons be doing that would? Yeah. So. So that gives us the role-playing sort of flavor angle. And maybe we've got like a setting element, like an abandoned elven. Yeah, village. that's right. You said the elven city, right? That's so right. That's right. That's between that, I might go through some iterations of sort of drafting a bit, but, I'm, but that would be pretty solid for me to kind of go like, okay, now I can look at the math. Right, right. Uh, do we know what the math is? What's a CR on, a, uh, on an Etten? So uh, an Etten is uh, CR4. Okay, okay. All right, so that's what one of them both looks like. And looks like yeah. That yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, depending on what you use, we've got the the uh, DMG uh, tells us kind of what to do. Like it gives us uh, on page eighty two this kind of like chart that we can use. Where it is? <laughs> I love that chart. Yeah, uh, it's not as good as the fourth edition one. <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding. I hate that chart. I, I hate it too. Uh, I, well, more I hate is everything that comes around it. But anyway. Um, but yeah, that's the chart we're given. And so, you know, if we, and the way it works is, which is confusing to folks who maybe have never done it before, is it doesn't work off of like looking up an Etten or even looking up a CR. It works off of experience points. Right. And there's stuff that's both good and bad about that. So, you know, the Etten, a CR4 equals 1,100 experience. And the chart tells us that if you've got third level characters, 
Then it gives us like the average per PC of what is easy, medium, hard, or deadly. Mm -hmm. So if we take our 1,100 and let's say we got like five characters, um, then we end up with something like uh, that's 220 experience per character, right? Take your XP, divide it out, one atom is 220 XP. So that actually kind of works uh, for level threes because that's um, between medium, which is 150 on this table, and hard, which is 225. So we're, you know, we're close to hard. For two Ettons? One Etton. For one Etton, yeah, right. Two okay. Ettons. Two ends is, is off the chart. Yeah, because so the so the, the math that I the math that I do in my head now. So there's a bunch of different ways to do it, right? Yeah. And the as as you're right, I actually had a, a uh, I I actually talked to Jeremy Crawford. I ran into him at Gen Con one year, and I got in the conversation of the encounter building guidelines. And what he said was, "That's how we do it, right? Oh, yeah. We the, the math that we have in the DMG, we we know it's not great. I don't know if he said that. I put that in." <laughs> But something along the lines, of, like we get that it's complicated, right? We get that it's not like this nice rapid lookup chart. But that's the math we use when we're balancing encounters and what we do. Um, but now we've seen, like in Xanathar's guide, they have a totally different chart for doing encounters, which I think is much improved, right? Like, yeah. well, though, though it has its complications, right? So, like, if we're just dealing with one Etten, um, kind of the DMG tells us it works. Uh, Xanathar's has a kind of different thing. I came prepared. Yeah, you did. You're better prepared than me. I got nothing. So Xanathar's, folks, is a super sweet buy, must buy. And it gives us this table for solos. Right. Uh, which in this case could almost work. We'll talk about that. And then it has these tables for multiple monsters. Right. So um, all of that is copyright wizards of the coast buy it. <laughs> um, but so like what it says with solos is it says it kind of says don't run a solo unless it's legendary right a single creature isn't really meant to handle and so if you look at this what it kind of says it has character level on one side and then it has four five or six character party size and it right. tells you what the cr is so one cool thing is it's cr based right so it would say yeah, if you have no, five no experience points mucking around yeah yeah no experience points multiplication so third level characters, five of them can do CR4. Mm -hmm. Perfect. There's our Etten. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but what's interesting. And that, and that kind of came to the same conclusion that you came to doing the experience point math. Yeah. Right? What, what Merle says about the chart that's in Xanathar's guide is that the math is the same. It's just a different way of looking at it. And, and I don't think Merle says it. I think the book says that. Yeah, and the fine tuning is, uh, you know, inexact, right? Because we don't have this easy, medium, hard. Right. We just yeah. have number of characters in a, in a, I don't know what what they're calling it. I think know, I think it's medium-ish. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's a medium plus. Yeah. But right. I don't know for sure. Right. But right. One thing that is interesting, it does have some contradictory stuff. I was looking at this. Um, so it says that uh, if you had four characters at, at third level. You could do a CR3, but then if you look at the uh, multiple monsters, it says that third level characters, a CR3, uh, you need six characters to face it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ratio. Right. And it actually calls out specifically and says, you shouldn't run this. <laughs> right. I think, I, think that's, I think the chart is assuming you have more than one monster on the table at that point. I guess so it's kind of taking in those multipliers, I which we have to talk about. Saying, right, which 
which it should. Yeah, right. So then there's the whole multiple, the multiplier feature. Yeah. So let's say, let's say that when I'm designing, right, uh, I, I, I wanted Etten's right. and the chart tells me you can't have that Teos. It's, it'll, it'll kill everybody. Right. Um, because you have to add double the XP we were working with that 1100. So it becomes way too difficult, uh, you know, without other factors. And one of the, there's some folks in the chat kind of saying like, Hey, you know, life isn't just math. Yeah. Right. Who cares? Harder ways of saying that we're going to get to that. That's always true. But, um, then we have to really work for that, right? And, and kind of keep it so that any DM can run it or we can run it and, and think through the possibilities. But, you know, if we're going to go by, by math, uh, two Ettons does not work. So I might say, well, what if I had the Etten with the two heads of different ideas and I have a bunch of goblins? Mm -hmm. um, those are low-level creatures, should work fine. And one thing that's kind of surprising is with the DMG rules, you have these multipliers. And the multipliers means that depending on how many creatures you have, um, you get this little multiplier to the total experience you end up with. And multipliers, there we go. Yep. And so just even having two creatures in the battle means that I have to do a 1.5 multiplier to the XP. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, what ends up happening is that just even a single goblin tells us mathematically that it's at the almost deadly level. And mm -hmm. two goblins is deadly. Mm -hmm. Even though a goblin is like this one yeah, right. CR, 75 XP or something like that critter, it throws it over. Mm -hmm. And, you know, writing the D&D &D open, one of the really kind of crazy things we did is we had to write encounters for levels one to 10. Right. <laughs> so if you start with like Etten's, right? Yeah. Then you go, well, the level one guys can't even facing an, an Etten. Right. For the level um, uh, 10 guys, we need a bunch of Ettens. Mm -hmm. And how am I dealing with this concept? Right. So that's where we start doing things like going like, well, okay, it's maybe an Etten. Maybe it's not an Etten. Maybe it's an right. ogre, but we call it an Etten. Although Wizards doesn't like you to do that too much. Yeah, you're reskinning your own guys in the open. Yeah. So, you know, that's where you have to think about, well, what are, or, you know, maybe it isn't quite like that. And maybe it's something like big orcs or something, you know, that have, right. different, you know, so, so you have to kind of work with it. Um, so when I design things for the D&D Open or other events where they have to have this multiple scaling, what I'll do is I'll say something like, okay, it's swampy creatures. Mm -hmm. and, and what I might be thinking mentally is Frogamoth or Froghemoth. Yeah, but you can scale that up and down. But then I might say, well, at, at low levels, it's actually giant frogs, and I just describe tentacles for fun, and right. they don't do anything. And then at higher levels, it's really the frog hemoth. Right, right. Yeah, so so like the D&D &D Open is a particular case, and, and probably the number of people in the world that have to worry about balancing encounters for a D&D &D Open is, I think, 30% of them are on this show right now, right? <laughs> so... Uh, that that's kind of an interesting uh, specific case. Now, there's sort of adventure design. So can I add, I think which yeah. one thing that does happen is like you might design an encounter for your campaign, but they go over here and then they come back and they're higher level. Right. And that's where I'd say, well, I'm just going to quickly scale it up and go to add like two goblins. And you're like, what? I'm TPKing the party? Yeah, right. right. I added two goblins. Yeah, and that's why, so, so I have long since thrown the DMG encounter building guidelines out the window. And, um... I, I, at first I went, I actually kind of did what they did with Xanathars and wrote a big ass chart that looked like the fourth edition chart that told me, um, you know, it was broken out by 
character level and I don't even remember number of creatures or CR. I can't remember one of the two. And then how many of them, basically how many creatures of a given CR can face a character of a certain level, right? And the advantage of that was um, I could quickly see like what kind of creature is roughly equivalent to what character level. Yeah. And now I've refined that down to a, to a tiny little equation that I keep in my head, which is half of the, uh, uh, a challenge rating is worth half of a character level. So if you have a 12th level character, a 6th CR monster is roughly equivalent to one character of that level. That's cool. Yeah. So your your uh the Ettons, the the CR4 Ettons, right off the top of my head I can say, well I know that if you had 5 Ettons and 5 characters, the character should be level 8. Right? Mm -hmm. And instead you've got level 3, you know, I already know it's off the chart, right? Yeah. And yeah. and the the reason why I think it's valuable to have an equation like that in my head is because as you you and I have discussed, you know they have like this easy medium hard and they have the multiplier and none of it matters because a banshee can still knock out a level twenty guy with one screen. Yeah. So you know yeah. the uh, the CRs kind of go out the window. Like when you look at the capability, and I, I you know I'm kind of browsing in the chat a little bit and I see somebody else. So I don't know who because it's already off the screen. I don't want to touch it because I'll crash again. But um, <laughs> Somebody uh, mentioned that um, uh, that that the looking at CR alone isn't enough to tell you how balanced an encounter is, and instead you should look at things like average damage. Now, what I say is like, don't even bother looking at any of that. Just you know, it, a do what you did, right? I want to tell a story, or the yeah. situation is there are two Ettons, and the heads, two of the you know, two of the heads on opposite Ettons like each other, and the other two hate the ones that they're on, right? And now you have this cool story, and who cares? Right? <laughs> like the CR threes, the, the the third level characters, you know, you might say something like, "You're pretty sure that if these guys were focused on you, they'd probably stomp you into mush," but yeah. they're not focused on you; they're arguing with each other. So you've got this advantage, yeah. right? And I and I think that's where you got to say, "Well, what's my audience?" Right? And so when my audience is like, I'm running Tomb of Tomb of Annihilation for my home campaign. When I'm running it. Um, I do use actually these rules when I, and I use a tool, right? A lot of people use like Cobalt Fight Club. I use this uh, spreadsheet, uh, what's it called? Hero something, no, uh, XP Encounter Assistant, I think it's called. Um, I like it a lot, I like Excel spreadsheets. So it, you know, calculates things and shows me it's deadly or it's hard or whatever. And that's, and, and it's easy to flip like a goblin on or off and see kind of what it thinks should happen. And then I adjust, I salt the taste, right? Mm -hmm. But I do think through all these various pieces and then when I'm running at home, um, I'm, I'm happy, kind of like Mike Merles was saying in your show, you know, like there is no particular reality. It's whatever is fun at the end of the day. So make the changes you need to make. More goblins come in, some goblins run away. Um, the Etten spends around yelling at everybody or each other's heads or whatever, you know, like there are so many ways to adjust the encounter balance and you can do that. But if my audience is not my home campaign and I'm writing something for the DMs Guild, or worse, Adventures League, um, where you know people are going to be paying often for a four-hour experience right. that I've written, and a random DM that isn't me is going to run it, right. uh, who potentially could have even been asked by uh, someone who is administering the convention, saying, hey, could you run this? I know you have a yeah. right. right. They need to deliver on a great experience. And that's where you know it's not so easy to say, so what? They're two Atten's just kind of pull punches when you should. Because now we're talking about 100 DMs over the course of the convention, a big convention, and how many of them are going to do that well, in mm -hmm. a fun way, being mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's 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 an important consideration, and 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 part of, and I think I think there's an interesting thing maybe that's so I think there's an interesting split that's going on in D&D to step back for a minute you mentioned the Merles thing that when when Mike Merles and I were talking last time and he kind of brought up that there's this big split between new players and 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 old-time players and he brought up his number one tip was that uh, we need to think more strategically and less tactically about what's going on in D&D overall right and you know this kind of looser I think what some might say is a looser approach towards the game and I think that when I when I think about Adventures League and, and playing in you know playing in Adventures League at conventions, having played previously at, at local game shops, uh, having written a couple of, of, of Adventures League adventures, I, I kind of feel like what I don't know how accurate my head model of what is going on in D and D Adventures League is, but it feels like they're they're kind of in the in the more tactical side, right? The more tactical group, and. Um, that you know, I think that shows up when we look at an encounter in a D and D Adventures League adventure, and it says like, "Here's the five different difficulty levels that this encounter could could have," and you know, de- depending on what the character level breakout is, this is what kind of monster breakout should occur for this encounter. And and part of me feels like the the better way to serve that is to try to teach those DMs as much as possible how they can be fluid with it, depending on what's going on, you know. And th- this sounds probably not contrary but you know i'm not uh uh do not take this as an insult but you know should we teach them how to fish right instead of instead of kind of giving them a table that tells them like here's what you should do in this situation do we want to say like look you're the dm we don't know who the hell your characters are how experienced they are or whether they're the guy that's dual wielding harzawans or has never played before And you're going to have to tune the adventure. And here are five different ways you can tune it. You know, yeah. and it's you know number of monsters, hit points of monsters, yada yada yada. I I, I think you're right. Um, where I'd put in some caveats is is kind of two things. One is that we want what we write to be friendly to any DM who's sort of making the climb. Right? They're still getting sure. started. Yeah. Right. Um, we we want it to feel welcoming that it's this is not like you're being held to some amazing standard right. and even what some others would say is minimum standard. Like the reality is, we want anybody DMing, mm-hmm. and 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 we'd hopefully want the content to be such that even if you are not particularly great yet, you through it are feeling like you're kind of being handheld a bit, and you're working well. Um, if you're an expert and you're having this adventure. It's not like it's treating you like an idiot, but it but it's there for you too. It's giving you some ideas, and you can quickly discard the ones you don't need, and you're off the races, right? So I, I do think that education is critical, but there's a lot of art to how you put that into an adventure so that it's cool um, without being like so simple that then you know experience tables are like, well, you know, this is really not not much is going on, right? Uh oh. Who froze up? Did I freeze up? Or did you freeze up? I think we're good. All right, we're good. Um, yeah, I mean that—that's I, I agree with you. And what I think about, and and you know, this is like talk about armchair quarterbacking, right? Like I haven't written an Adventures League adventure in a, in a few years now, but I, I, you know, I remember that like the first five pages of every Adventures League adventure you know, has a ton of like here's how to play in the Adventures League, and here's and it's always like the oh, you know. Where's the where's the intro? And what I'm thinking is like that should be where we put two paragraphs about how to tune monsters, right? How to tune encounters. And and I don't think it's a lot of I don't think it's you know I don't think it's something that takes five years of experience to figure out how to do to say things like you're you know 
you're going to have to judge the the capabilities of the characters, you know, yeah. and and go light on them in the first encounter or or be flexible with it. You know, can you even like here, here's like a sacrilege. You ready for the sacrilege of Adventures League? Go, go ahead and fudge the hit points. Yeah. Like during combat, you know, say like you know, assume the maximum hit points for a monster, and then if that looks like it's too hard, have them die on the next hit. You know, but I, I think a lot of adventurous league people will freak out if they hear something like that because they're like well, it's a certain way. And, and we should probably say for people who don't know kind of why, which is that when um, kind of organized play began, when public play began for D and D back in like the D and D and AD and D days, the basic and the AD and D days. Uh, it was often tournament events that were taking place or special one-shot adventures, but many of them were tournaments where you're kind of being scored in various ways. Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah. consistency was the key. The adventure should be written so that it's run the same time at every table. And we might laugh about the olden days, but in third edition, that was the rule of the land as well. Consistency. If I sit down at table X and my friends sit down at table Y, we have the same experience. Right. Yeah, and and that's, that's why I said like the DM when when you talked about the D you, know, you and I have talked about this in email. We talked on Twitter, and I never really thought about the D the D and D open. Mm -hmm. And to me, the D the open is like that, right? Like that one. I feel like you're right. You can't just because that is this really consistent experience. There is scoring that's going on. There is you know sort of you know it's not competition exactly, but a little bit sort of parallel sort of parallel competition going on you're not directly against other groups but and, and what we tried to do there was to um create a consistency around certain pieces that you would use to evaluate each other right my table your table how well we did right. but have a lot of freedom about how the encounter reacts to the players and their ideas right so that it's not like it's just well, like I can't do, you know, I'm in a box and I can't do anything because the walls are so confining because this is scored. That wouldn't feel that way. Right. Uh, but it isn't the DM, you know, making up stuff or adding 20 monsters because they right. think. Right, right, right. Yeah, and, and right, just, to, just to, to kind of follow up on the idea of the Adventures League adventures themselves, I'm not arguing that you shouldn't have um that i that like detailed breakout box of exactly how many monsters and or you know exactly what an encounter looks like for different difficulty levels i'm not arguing like we should get rid of that because we're all a bunch of hippies now and should tell a story you know what i'm what i'm suggesting is no matter what you put in there it doesn't work anyway right like you're gonna sit down at a table and you're gonna pick it i've seen it happen right i've seen it happen in almost every game i run at where like Two of the players are really experienced with really powerful characters, and four of them aren't. But the DM didn't quite figure that out, and it got too hard. The next thing I know, I'm fighting Aranes at level six, you know, and they're kicking my ass, and I'm mad, right? And I'm like, I paid money for this game, and I'm getting my ass kicked by an Aranes because of that jerk across the table with a super powerful character, right? So it yeah. does. My, my, I think that even we, when we try to put and this, and I think this is gets to the encounter building guidelines in the DMG. The, the disservice that they do is not only is it too complicated to use, it doesn't even work when you use it. So, but part of that, so, you know, what we can do is when you're designing an encounter, um, the challenge is only a part of the experience, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So how hard an Etten hits versus and how accurate it is and all that is part of the, the sauce, but it's not the only sauce. Mm -hmm. And if someone obliterates the Etten, um, you know, hopefully not in a round because then we don't get to do anything. But assuming it, you know, it's just it just gets killed. It's not a threat, right? The end is not a threat. 
we should still have a great time. And that's where I think, you know, over time you want to become a better encounter writer or designer is around that concept of what is the, what's the fun in the scene, right? The head should be still interesting. Um, right. If they're working with goblins, that should still be interesting. If we've got this ruined uh, elven area, that should still be fun. So even if we kill it and it, or it's never hitting us, we should still be amused by it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like for Jungle Treks, um, created an encounter where there are some grung and they ambush you from either side. And so some of the fun is that they have a sort of special rule they can use to sort of swing across from this elevated area and you're down going through the middle. And so they're ambushing you, but they can swing across and kind of wee and they high five each other. But <laughs> the, and, and you might, you probably will obliterate them. Grung aren't super tough creatures, right? right? Like even if it's at the CR, the DMG tells us they're not super tough, but that's hopefully amusing. But then additionally, they've got this special symbol. I'm not going to spoil it, but that they, they all kind of look at and Grungs only speak Grung, but they say various things in Grung about this symbol that medallion they wear around their necks. And that's part of the fun is maybe you want to figure out what that's all about. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe you don't and you just obliterate them. But, but there is fun there to be had if you want that is not at all related to whether this is a hard or easy fight. Right, right. And this is, so this is, yeah, this is, this is some, some new magic that I'm only just starting to think about. I've, you know, probably in the last four or five months of not thinking about encounters as whether they're combat or exploration mm -hmm. or role play and instead just designing a situation and seeing how that situation plays out right and yeah. the, that that the one you brought up is a perfect example that like the you know the probably a, a, a capable party is going to kick their ass yeah. but there's more to be learned if they don't mm -hmm. right and they might just kick their ass and that's okay right they they're that's that's what the group does and they just move on and one of those medallions is stomped into the mud as the group walks on to their next you know yeah. to the next thing but the other one is it opens up an entirely new path like like the ewoks and return of the jedi right yeah totally and um you know but i i think when we so so obviously we're you, you and i are talking with multiple hats on right mm -hmm. like there's there's designer hats and uh, home game designer hats and DMs and everything like that. But um, for, I think, but from a designer perspective, even like a homebrew designer perspective, you know, a DM who's just building their own adventure for their home game. Um, uh, I think the idea of not, not deciding how that battle is going to play out. I say even I screwed up already. Right? Uh, how that situation is going to play out by thinking, Oh, they're definitely going to get into a fight yeah. or this is where they role play with somebody. Well, maybe they punch the guard in the face, right? Yeah. You didn't think about that. So I think that's kind of the approach that's happening with at least the design of future adventures that Wizards is putting out, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, I, I certainly, I think we all kind of saw it in Storm King's Thunder where, you know, you're seeing 14 frost giants and you're level three, you know? And I'm guessing that didn't hit the encounter math very, very well, right? And they didn't have it or like you're standing in a field and there's 14 frost giants in the other side that are running at you. You know, it was a situation. And obviously yeah. there were there were methods and ways for you to deal with the situation without having to face off against 14 frost giants. But the situation was like a boat full of frost giants showed up to go invade Bryn Shander, right? That well, was and I do have a problem with the hardbacks when they kind of throw these huge challenges and they don't give the dm any any guidance uh and they don't particularly have any outs for you 
or right. yeah, that's true. Sometimes right. they right. do, but yeah. a lot of times they don't, right? So uh, in Tomb of Annihilation, and I won't spoil it for people out there, but um, uh, there is a, a mine that you can go to um, that has a dragon in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tomb of Annihilation is designed this with, like, there's stuff all over the map, and you could just go exploring and maybe find it, or maybe you're in a town and someone tells you about it. Um, but it has a number of things that I think are interesting design-wise, one of which is that this thing is really tough. And so, you know, my level four characters are going there, and I'm looking at what this age dragon can do. And I'm like, wow, this can be rough, right? Well, one of the things I did is I telegraphed this very obviously and made them think about it to the point where they took probably three sessions before they finally went there. Um, and when they did so, they did so by creating basically an A-team style, uh, showing my age, but a, uh, they, they jury-rigged a minecart to have all kinds of stuff, an adamantine battering ram, a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a, a harpoon, and they basically, this minecart was launching through the air at the dragon. Right. And so, you know, since they made those moves, it made it very easy for me to say, like, okay, that's got to be awesome. So let's have that do awesome things. And it did. Uh, and then from there, we could have a, a battle. But even then, I tweaked it, right? Because right. there's no, what's the fun of me just TV? I mean, I can kill most groups of the dragon. I've been DMing mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. Like, give me even a soft uh, dragon. Not, not me. I can't do it. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. Um, well, like, like third edition is a great example. The dragons there were brutal. And oh, yeah. <laughs> you could kind of kill any party with an appropriate level because right. they could always just fly above everybody. And, it, you know, yeah. but again, what's the fun, right? And so that's, that's sometimes with these big adventures at the hardbacks, I kind of go like, you know, tell me what, what the fun is here. And then and you could do a better job of that. Right. Yeah. And I don't remember in Storm Kings, I, and I, I don't have Tomb in front of me, but I thought in the beginning of Tomb, they did have something saying like, you know, there was sort of a disclaimer saying yeah. we don't have an expectation for what level the characters are going to go in there. So, you know, hey, DM, you're going to have to figure this out. Right. And I, and I think the argument is like, well, what the hell are we paying you for for us to have to figure it out? Right. And, and then there's part like and then the other half of me is like, no, that's, you know, that's our job. Like, and and again, I go back to no system can do it right. Like none, you know, none of the systems that exist for five E, in my opinion, can balance. You know, there isn't a, such a thing as balance. You know, like sure. it, the, the 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 gauges that we have are so unless you really dig deep into the math, like exactly what the damage per round expected, you know, expected damage per round of a monster is going to be against a particular character compared to their hit points and stuff like that. And I don't recommend that. <laughs> that's that's not the lazy way, as far as I'm concerned. Well, and so so there's the thing that I would go to, though, is to me, like, you know, the answer isn't then like, hey, we're moving towards this sort of more narrative approach. Um, This is just going to happen. You know, some days you'll just TPK your table, right? Or uh, therefore, don't worry about designing your your, your encounter balance at all. Don't work on any math because, you know, what, Wizards isn't either. So you like a remora has throw it at your first level character. (laughs) What if they die every time they hit it? You know, that's fun. Don't make new characters. Like, what's engaging about this scene? Right. Right? Why is this encounter going to engage people? And sometimes it is just the monster. That's okay to do from time to time. But but generally, there should be something going on here, right? Uh, right. Why this creature lives here, or who it ate last time, or how it fits into the villain's schemes, or whatever. And and that should be its own engagement. Uh, and then if you if there's if the challenge is out of the normal range that they can handle 
then think about how that should play out so that at the end of the day, we're having a great time. Right. And that, to me, that's, that's part of encounter design. You can violate its principles, but don't do it because you didn't know or because yeah. you didn't care. Sure. Right. Right. That. Yeah. And that's, that's why, again, the, you know, not to, to pitch the same Mike Shea rule of thumb for encounter balance. I think it's important to like start with the story first Think about what makes sense for the, the kind of situation, the Ettons that are talking to each other. And then in your head, you know, do a bunch of quick math that says, you know, two Ettons is going to be too hard for a group of level threes. You know, just just that's all you need to know. Right. And then the DM, you know, and, and I, I guess I don't know how you write in a published adventure. Right. You say like, hey, by the way, this is probably on the hard side. <laughs> right. Keep that in mind, depending on what level your characters are. I mean, not um, to, to self-promote, but when I did Cloud Giant's Bargain, yeah, um, one of the things that happened there, it was a very funny kind of thing to write because they were like, hey, write this adventure that people get when they go to see Acquisitions Incorporated Live. And I'm like, cool, so it's an intro thing. And they're like, yeah, Cloud Giants. <laughs> and I'm like, well, uh, level one? Yeah, giants really hit hard, and oh no, it's for like levels eight or I forget what it is. It, the levels change, so I can't even remember the levels of my right. own adventure. But um, so one of the things I did was I put in a lot of DM callout boxes, which were yeah. really what we see. So I think if you really can do that, right? You can you can have a little reality check. Hey, here's what they can do in this scene, and and yeah. that's a good skill to start practicing. I think for encounter designers, especially when it's going to be you know when you're publishing for an audience. Yeah, and it sounds like the, the one time when you really need to worry about that is when things are going to get too hard, right? Like the little warning sign that says, like, if you're going to head into this, and I don't know, do they entomb, did, and does, does Tomb of Annihilation give any kind of warning about that dragon? No, it has a kind of like in Storm Kings, it has that generic sort of, hey, you know. You At the be beginning of the adventure level, overall, yeah. Yeah, level band, and sometimes things are hard or whatever. Yeah. But it doesn't really say, like, Here's how to deal with it. I guess, obviously, if the group, which I think could be like what? They could be like level seven when they're wandering around there? Or one. Well, I know, but what's the highest level they could be if they're wandering through the jungle? Well, the whole adventure goes to 10. And theoretically, sometimes you're wandering through, wandering through the jungle to yeah. where you think a certain place is. So you could be, you know, ninth level or something. And then okay. you go to this place. So and there it's could not be a time when you go to that dragon and you're not going to have any trouble killing that dragon at all. Yeah. But if yeah. you're level one, you could get your ass kicked. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah, so I guess, you know, even having a warning box on something like that, unless they put a little thing at the beginning saying, hey, this is probably appropriate for level five to eight. And I think you know? we underestimate how many yeah. DMs will say, but that's what the adventure told me to do. Yeah. Well, that's and had a horrible time, right? That, that to me is not, I mean, okay, you know, now, now I'm getting into a, a personal opinion about that. We shouldn't be writing around that. I, let me rephrase. I'm not going to write around that, <laughs> right? Like, I would much rather I'll write a thousand books talking about, hey, here are ways that we can try to be better DMs together, than I will to say I'm going to hold your hand and and sure. and, and you know yeah. the responsibility of a good adventurer actually lands on me, not the DM. But I right? don't think it's hard, right? I mean, we're, yeah, we're going to write a sandboxy thing where some things are really rough and some things are easy in the scenes that are on the upper level. Just throwing some guidance. It's not hard. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that, right? And, and then, I, I think general DM. guidance about it. Yeah, I, th I think, I think, especially when you have a thing like a dragon, where, you know, it's it might be it's different than a couple stuff. of things. It's not just fight scenes, right? Like uh, in the starter set, when you get to the the town, right? Um, I forget if it's Fendolin or which one it is. But when you get to the first Fendolin, you get a first town. There are like 400 plot hooks in that town, yeah, right? <laughs> if the starting DM some guidance. 
Right. Here's what? three. Try these three. Yeah. You know, okay. like start with X and Y, then add to the starter set, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, and actually, that. you know, Tomb of Annihilation is the same way. You get to Portney and Zaru, and there are a ton of yeah, possible. I don't even know. Yeah. I have no idea how to even start. Right. I, I'm, well, I'm, I'm going to be running yeah. that pretty soon, and I have no idea. I think uh, I'm going with James Intercastle's adventure. I know so I, I limited many, so I did a couple things real quick. I, I turned off the death curse. It hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. That takes off a whole layer of, of, of urgency. So you can just relax and enjoy. You're here for another reason. I, I made up my own little mystery. Right. Um, <clears throat> then step two is, you know, turn off a whole bunch of those, turn off most of the possible quest lines that are coming in and just put a couple. Right. So they've sure. got some options of where to go. The ones you like and you want to use now that aren't going to take you to the far-flung corners of the place, start with those, right? Okay. And now you've got a, a fun, it feels sandboxy, but it's not, you know, a list of 20 quests. Right. That's not fun for the players either. Yeah, yeah, no, it's no, no fun for anybody. Um, I mean, I just want to hog all of your intellect for myself, but I think it's probably worth uh, us uh, uh, going to some questions. Um, Alex, are you out there? And I am if so, here. Yes. Can you bring us a bring us a question? Okay. First question I'm gonna ask from Twitter comes from at MJS October, and they would like to know: Do you design encounters differently for theater of the mind than you do for grids? Mm. That's a good question. So I, I don't. Um, I uh, you know when I'm working on projects, I usually have to do a map if it's an official thing. So you end up kind of having that battle grid overlay anyway. And when I do that step, then I might think about the spacing related to kind of, you know, minis on a map. But, but in general, no. I mean, it needs to be compelling in both worlds. Uh, and, and, you know, the worst fourth edition was where the tactic was only based on grid. Mm -hmm. When your tactical play was X squares being pushed by power four squares... That wasn't the fun of it. Like that, I mean, it was for a couple of us who like board gamey type style things. But, but the, the the for the greatest number of people, the fun was the situation, the humor of it, um, the experience that you're going to have, right? And that's what you're trying to facilitate. So it doesn't matter whether it's theater mind or not. I'm going to design pretty much the same way. Yeah, one one thing I found having having been almost exclusively grid based for all of fourth edition and for probably the first part of fifth. And then 13th age kind of broke me of the idea and I started doing more theater than mind. And now what I found is when when I don't think about what it fits, I'm so much freer to to have weird things happen. You know, the one that I was talking about on Twitter is I've literally had my group fight 950 skeletons in one fight, you know, and, you know, and my big joke and, and uh, uh, I, I, you know, I got my deserved ration of shit on Twitter about it. My big joke was like, where, where's the grid now? You know, like who's got 950 skeleton minis to put out there, right? And you know, and then my favorite was, uh, uh, I think it was Grand DM who took a big battle map and he put out five minis and then drew a big circle and wrote 1,000 skeletons in the center. I thought that was so great. So, uh, but but I, I really do feel like now when yeah. I'm, you know, when I'm when I'm not so much when I'm designing published adventures, which I don't do that much of anymore, but when I'm designing games for home. Um, not having to worry about how the hell I'm going to fit this on a battle map means that the scope of my encounter can go off in any direction, sure. literally from one monster to a thousand. You know, I have yeah. no limit on the numbers. I don't have any limit on the terrain type. You know, I can do and or whether it's even a combat encounter. Yeah, right. Uh, Alex, what else you got? 
Okay, uh, next from Twitch, uh, here's one from Shortman Ian. He wants to know, what encounter that you designed are you most proud of? Um, wow. That's tough. There, there, there's, there are a lot that are favorites of mine. Um, I'll bet you 10 to 1 it's a Dark Sun one. There are so many good ones. <laughs> uh, but, uh... I think some of the most fun is, is collaborations, you know, where I've, so like on the Dark Sun thing, uh, the first fourth edition monster I kind of designed was the giant antlion, which has existed in other editions. Like I always liked the antlion. And so then I was working with uh, this guy, Ian Ramsey and Justin Turner. And I was like, all right, you know, like let's make this into a fight. And so I told him like what I wanted it to do. Like, you know, it's at the bottom of this pit and people can kind of fall in like a, with a giant antlion. Uh, and then it can grab you and it's pinchers and like whirl you around and beat up people. And so those kinds of when you when you get those visions to come out and become real and then you run them at the conventions or seeing being run and it's fun. That's super neat. Um, but I, you know, I like a lot less like one encounter, but more like chains of encounters. I like what I did in um, um, uh, the artifact where it's based on the board game Clue. And you have all these ghosts that are in different places, and your job is to figure out which ghost murdered the uh, head wizard and with what. And you have some role-playing hooks there and, and ways that that all plays out. Um, so, it, you know, kind of when we talk about the difference between hardback and Adventures League, you know, that's an Adventures League adventure, but it has a sandboxy type feel or open feel and that you can go wherever you want to try to find out what has happened. And you won't probably go to all the rooms but in the end, you've got to figure out, you know, was it Colonel Mustard with the pipe? <laughs> Fantasy version of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm just, you know, thinking about encounters that I've enjoyed building. I think I ran um, all of the fourth edition modules that came out with Orcus was the final boss and stuff. And I think I can't remember what the hell the name of the monster was, but it was a giant elemental primordial beast that was going to destroy the uh, heart of the abyss and thus destroy the multiverse. Right. And I took like my entire dining room table and turned it into the lowest layer of the abyss that the 30th level characters had to go down and navigate in order to fight it. And, you know, I had to paint a new mini for the, the primordial and I had crazy effects and oh, nice. I have a picture of it and I still look at it and go, man, look what it was like back when I gave a shit. You know, and and the sad truth is, I just don't run encounters like that anymore. I'm like, no, I, I don't have that kind of time. You know? Your pictures are really good. It's, it's, I, you know, I know, but like, I'm literally, I think I might be running the final Storm King's Thunder game, and I was almost late to the show because I'm like, well, I'll, I'll put a pillar over here. You know, <laughs> like, they'll be, I'll put a pillar out there. So, um, yeah, it's just to me, like, how, how again, that sort of tactical to strategic. Because yeah. tomorrow, I don't know how the game's going to go tomorrow. Because I don't know if it's going to be a fight. <laughs> I really have no that's, idea. Yeah, that's the Tomb of Annihilation thing that I've got is, uh, you know, three weeks in a row, I might pull out this little, like, Terraclips temple that I've built and yeah. set it to the side. And at the end of the session, I take it back upstairs right. again because it didn't go there. Right. I, just, I, I, really, I mean, I, I have a really cool idea about where it's going to go. And, uh, and, and, but it's a choice and, or, or sort of a, kind of a choice like it's a potential reaction that they're going to make that literally could be on one plane of existence or another you know and i i don't know how am i going to build a battle map around that <laughs> right? i have no idea so like i guess i'll build two 
and we'll see. But it's going to be like your temple, right? I'm going to set it to the side of temple. There are a few encounters where it's true that you just can't capture it on with minis. Like that does happen sometimes, and and then I won't, right? And and for sure, you know, to that go back to that earlier question, there are times when I design an encounter, and and at the end of it, I want to run it one way or the other way. Yeah, sure. Uh, Alex, what other questions you got? So I heard Dark Sun mentioned, so here's one from Wise Papa Grant on Twitter. He wants to know from Teos, uh, what are your favorite parts of Dark Sun, and do you have any recommended Dark Sun reading or research? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I love the Veiled, the Veiled Alliance supplement is, to me, the favorite because it, it theoretically is telling you what all these different cells of Veiled Alliance members are, which are like the hidden wizards because magic is illegal to be practiced by anybody other than the Sorcerer Kings. But what it ends up doing is telling you about every single city-state and its culture and what's awesome about it and what they wear and eat and you name it. It's this awesome, like, you know, walk through all the city-states, which is just full of ideas. Love it, love it. Um, but, uh, you know, with uh, Dark Sun and Encounter Design, what I think that makes it awesome is usually there are great ways to make the wilderness shine in ways that... Um, really capture sort of the idea that we might think of more in like Conan type stuff where it's survival of the fittest. And it's not just like, I have all these magic items at my disposal. It's sort of the raw fight of it, the raw gladiatorial pit. Um, the, like a, you know, an encounter that I did in a home campaign once was they're low on food and they see these like giant wasp, like uh, octagonal hive entrances. And they're like, uh, there's probably like honey in there or something, <laughs> you know, and we're going to have to go there. That's a fight a giant wasp, but we got to eat. Right. You've done this to us, right? You've forced us. We've got to now go, you know, we're going to get stung. And of course it was brutal because it's Dark Sun. <laughs> but they, they knew like, we've got to do this to survive. And Dark Sun is so good at that kind of storytelling and that sort of fun. I think it was uh, Jerry Holcomb from Penny Arcade that said the great thing about Dark Sun is everything in it is made from some other dead thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. like everything you're wearing, everything you're eating, everything you're walking on came from a corpse of something else. I love Dark Sun. I, I, I'll have to go back someday. Uh, yeah. Alex, what else you got? Okay, from Twitter, at Blake Ryan Batman wants to know, how do you make challenging social encounters that don't lead to combat? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so there are kind of two answers to that. So if you're doing like a campaign, then hopefully an interesting scene like that is going to be based off of the things that are going on with the players and how that intersects with the campaign. So, you know, if you're meeting with like a merchant prince and you're running term of, a Tomb of Annihilation at home, hopefully you're creating some cool interactions between the merchant princes so that these interactions have a real visceral feeling, right? I want this objective. Um, I just got this mind started again. We've got ore flowing. I'm going to do this for them to help them. And the merchant prince says, if you tell everybody, they'll be dead by, you know, by next month. Oh, you know, but I just saved these people. Well, then you've got to work with me, you know, or different angles like that. Um, you uh, like uh, in my campaign. One of the uh, guys, this this druid, he wants to date one of the merchant princes. <laughs> you know, and when characters give you stuff like that, then you go with it and you make that a big part of not just the discussion with her, but with other merchant princes. Because now that politics has teeth to it, maybe your actions could cause her to get killed, right? 
Um, the more you start working those kind of aspects in there, now it's a challenge. And the other thing is the players start recognizing that you make notes about what they do and what they want, and that those are going to play into social encounters. And that gold pays off for itself time and time again, because you're, they know everything they do can and will be against them, will be used against them and for them, right? right. They'll get rewards, they'll get cool stuff, but there's danger. And now it feels like a movie, right? Now it feels like anything can happen in this next episode. When Sorry. Yep. Uh, it, it's interesting that um, I think like, I, I haven't really run into it very much where, you know, social encounter scenes turn into combat you know, unexpectedly for me, I think that's an interesting sign, right? And this is one of those, like, are the players telegraphing what they want more of in the game, yeah. you know? And if you're, you know, if the king is saying, like, hey, I'd like you to go, and, like, your barbarian charges them, you know, maybe maybe you ought to start them in the dungeon, right? Like, you know, if, if that's yeah. really what they're interested in. And, and I've seen it the other way, too, where, like, you know, in my DM head, I'm thinking like now they're going to fight twelve orcs, and they're like doing everything they can to negotiate with the orcs. And I'm like, just fight the orcs, you know, for crying out loud. But and, but, but what they're doing is they're telegraphing their desire yeah. to, to have an interact. So then, you know, as a DM, we kind of have to 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 yeah. you know we have to be fluid to that idea. And so yeah. so I think you know again, not having had it happen, but on the assumption that you have a group where they're real trigger happy. You know, they're really eager to kind of join. Maybe they don't feel like they have enough. They're not having enough of a say in what's going on anyway. Like they're not, you know, I mean, I've definitely seen it where yeah. they want to negotiate with the king and nobody's a charisma person, right? They're yeah. all built for combat. And it's like, well, then give them combat, you know? Yeah. Then the king's like, okay, off to the, you know, off to the caves you go. Um, so I don't know that, but, you know, it's very circumstantial, you know, but, but a lot of times, they, they, you know, our players telegraphing their desire for a game. Yeah, I think some of it, too, is, you know, as a DM, think through what you want to see happen, right? Like, if, if you want to run Game of Thrones, as a theoretical quote, I mean, that's hard, right? Like, what? Like, I don't know how I'd do that. But the more that I want to get there, the more that I want to make sort of these scenes have reveals and surprises and developments, and so then my, if I want that kind of angle to even start to approximate being what's in my game, then I've got to add that, but I also have to, to make it visceral, I have to give the players things and have their goals match up with the campaign. Right, right. That's yeah. the stuff that as DMs, you know, every day we're getting better at. You're never going to start out, at least I haven't met anybody who started out knowing all this stuff or has some marvelous model. You just, you know, you start working with it. In my home campaign, I'm fortunate to have two guys who uh, often in fights with, with you know, human-type dudes will spare them. Mm -hmm and enlist them mm -hmm. so the gang members have a job and they're not allowed to use their gang name right <laughs> that's gone you can't use it anymore and you know i got your job with the harbor master so then they come into town and they get <laughs> it's all their guys yeah right about what's going on yeah yep. and you know so you start kind of working with that and yeah that, that's a, that's super fun i had a, a neoji bartender once because they spared a neoji and and turned it into their bartender so yeah things like that <laughs> You just had all his hands out and would psychically do stuff to people. Yeah, they had a succubus <laughs> dancer and everything. Um, uh, Alex, what else you got? Okay, another one from Twitter. Uh, it's from Dummy Erd. Uh, do you worry about balancing counters to highlight PC abilities, or do you just put problems in front of your players and they need to apply themselves? 
Yeah, so you know, I, I kind of balance for their level. Um, I don't particularly try to do challenge levels to make people shine, um, but I will take into consideration their capabilities and their kind of typical tactics. So like the druid who always shape changes into things, then giving them things to fight on the ceiling and they can be in their spider form and fight up there could be kind of cool. Um, you know, aspects like that, but not because it's necessarily hard. Um, I might single someone out, you know, for a solo combat or something kind of over to the side where everybody else fights over here. That could be cool. But, um, but it's more along those lines than specifically making it hard so they shine or hard for, for a particular person. Yeah, I often I often recommend that idea of, you know, know the capabilities of the characters and then build encounters that show those off. And I don't know if I've ever done it. You know, <laughs> just because like it's hard, right? Like I don't. How do you design an encounter? So it's like, well, you know. So I'll just give a lot of different types of encounters yeah. with the expectation that probably people are really good at one encounter or the other. The, yeah. I'll tell you the hardest. The hardest instinct that I have to fight against is uh, negating things that players have or characters have that feel overpowered to me. You know, like, uh, yeah, the guy always uses prismatic spray. So I really want to get around prismatic spray. Instead of being like, here's 14 people you can prismatic spray and feel awesome as they all turn to stone and get sent to other planes of existence. You know, but, you're, you know, it's, it's my, 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 my competitive nature comes out and I have, to, I have to put that aside. And part of it is not just not caring, right? Like, I'm going to build an encounter and if they wipe it out in one round, that's fine. Right. I don't I think that's cool. And I'm going to describe it in as awesome detail as I can about how they how they did it, you know. And um, uh, yeah, I think that that to me is probably, you know, stronger for highlighting a particular a particular character is that when they do get away with something like that, you know, last last week, my wife's character killed 30 people with one shot of a destructive wave, you know, and it's because they were surrounded by 30, you know, the right. tribal assassin guys and she just went boom and hit them all and they all died and you know i'm gonna start the next game by describing what it looks like looking at all the corpses of those dead bedine guys that she blew away because yeah you know that was somebody's father and somebody's brother yeah so, that to me is that's the part that makes it right like this having that angle that uh that speaks to the character and what they're doing and and to me i think that's uh you know, even if you go like here's, I'm thinking several things at the same time. But I remember on the 4E forums uh, during um, Forgotten Realms, Living Forgotten Realms, uh, folks who really just sort of wanted to play and roll dice and kill stuff were like, "Well, we play this because we do like this wrapper of story around our experience. We don't want four orcs in a room. We want this overarching piece." And so I think that that's also a lot of the fun. Um, aspect of this is so even when you've got people playing fifth edition and they just sort of want to roll the dice you know you you need that other element around it that makes it interesting it's not just four orcs in the room what are the orcs doing that's kind of fun and engaging that's going to make it fun at all levels of play regardless of where you are and as you start working want to go to where the orcs tribe has something to do with this character's backstory Mm -hmm. Right. They used to be a pirate, you know, a sailor background pirate. Well, you know, they are orc pirates. Right. And we can start linking that and put it into the broader campaign. And over time, you get better and better at doing that if that's where you want to go.
Right. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, to me, power. it really feels like that's the shift that's occurring with 5e. And, and you know, 4e was so tactically focused. And like you said, when I think back to the 4e games I had, they were like there was a string of gristle that connected these big hour and a half long battles. And I had players who were like, that's exactly what I want. Like, I want a railroad. And I want a little bit of story to connect really cool, you know, dioramas. And, and we can argue about squares of movement. You but, know. You know 5e you might say it's most like second edition someone else might say first edition but the reality is first edition second edition adventures were just like that this lightest smattering of story right and yeah right they didn't have the four orcs in a boring room right right (laughs) yeah like the yeah the number of adventures that had like these deeper stories is is you know pretty small yeah. But but it does feel like the game, you know, seeing like especially you know watching it on Twitch and and seeing how other people are playing, that the the story seems to be much more in the front seat than it than it used to be. But I think that's something that's not well. I think the addition facilitates it, but I think we were you know it's, since the Ravenloft days, since the Pharaoh yeah. days, since before we've been moving towards this because we've gone from it's a miniature war game to another level where you get to play that the miniature war game is not giant armies but wizards and fighters and we all play one of them to let's act out the movies in our heads right Right. let's have this awesome experience um and it's funny to even see it go into like the critical role era and stuff like that where you see like well now we have this counterpart that's the live experience and we want to emulate that and so on but we're moving towards a narrative yeah. And you want that, you want more story, more connection, more involvement, engagement, you know, and that's all there pulling away from what all of these previous editions have done well and poorly around narratives, right? Right. Uh, do we have time for one more question? Alex, go ahead and give us one more. Sure, here's one more. This is from Twitch from MJS October. Have you hey. ever given your PCs a Kobayashi Maru type encounter? Mm. Um, so, I mean, I think we're talking about that sort of surprise twist. Is that what we're really talking well, about? Well, I think it's the, um, the impossible, the impossible encounter. Oh, the encounter okay, that okay, has okay. no good potential Sorry. options. I assume uh, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, okay. Uh, so yes and no. I mean, one thing is that, that if we're talking about combat-wise, um, kind of all editions of D&D are very bad at allowing retreat. Um, because you have initiative orders, and when one person runs away, like, you know, we should run away. I'm going to run away on my turn. Next turn, someone might go like, well, I'm going to cover you, or something like that. And then the monster's going to drop them, and now the people who cheat are like, do I go back for you? Yeah, right. You you know, it just never goes well. So you can (laughs) monkey around and come up with different um, rules that work, and, you know, maybe the DM, she figures out, you know, yeah, I can use these specialized rules that aren't really D&D to facilitate... Um, getting out of there, but it sort of doesn't work as a retreat if, if it's that kind of impossible. M- more fun, I think, is um, if you're going to do a retreat, you need special rules for it. If you're going to do something where it's not about the retreat, but the, the obvious solution, like killing the bad guy, uh, isn't going to work, but you still need to stay there and do something, then you need to have a cool layer of um, encounter design that's going to be that reveal, that aha of you don't win by destroying the Klingon, the boss. You uh, win by doing this other thing, right? Maybe he must kill you, right? Mm-hmm. When the big bad kills kills you, that's when she, the character, 
ends up uh, becoming the spirit that can do the other thing. And that makes sense because of the story element. You know, something like that has to be the... Uh, otherwise, I think players will get dissatisfied with it. Yeah, so I, I've, I've definitely had sort of hard situations where I don't know how the characters are going to get around it. And they're particularly like in boss fights or villain things where it's like it's Strahd, right? And they're going against Strahd. And I'm like, he, you know, he doesn't pull any punches. And he's no idiot, right? So he's not going to build a situation that gives him a clear, easy answer. He's going to give them hard choices. And invariably, the one of the players, because it's six brains against one, one of them's going to come up with some way I've never even thought of. I'm like, whoa, you know, and guess what? Neither did Strahd. So, yeah. you know, that's that Kobayashi Maru, like, hack the system you know, hey, it turns out Force Cage, really good, you know, good good way to get rid of that boss. Why would it ever have a saving throw or... <laughs> yeah, Force Cage is one of my favorites. Um, so, yeah, that, that's an interesting idea. But I do agree that, like, I'm almost... I, I, I think it can be dangerous to come up with situations where you really are expecting that, that you know, there isn't the right answer. I think the Kobe Rashi Maru is you, you had no choice but a bad one. And I think that's fine. Like I, you know, I'm I'm putting one in place maybe tomorrow, well, where yeah. they don't have a good choice. Or, or where the test is around seeing how you fail, right? Like that's problematic and tough. And just even it's the general puzzles, right? I think one thing we generally do as DMs, especially when you're young or new, I certainly start out this way: is I have this super awesome thing they aren't going to figure out. It's so cool, and that's never cool. Like, the thing nobody <laughs> figures out is never cool, right? The puzzle that's impossible. Oh, yeah. Right? Who wants that? Right. We're also not training starship captains, right? Like, we're all sitting around the table having a good time, and our job is to you know, help them have a good time, not yeah. to not to harden them, yeah. you know, harden them for life. The no, life is, is you know, pick up the Washington Post if you want to be hardened by life. <laughs> you know, we want to play, we want to play some D&D. Yeah. So, and you want to feel like you are smart and successful and you figured it out, not the other way around. And so, right. so um, if I were designing such a thing, and, and I think that's totally cool as a concept to design it, um, but I would, I would be tuning my mind towards how is it that the players are going to feel really smart for realizing that there's this block that prevents normal success and these other ways that create the alternate success. And they're going to feel like geniuses when they do it, right? And that, that would be the super awesome thing to do it. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll just, uh, just a little end cap that um, there was a time when I was uh, when I was kind of very into these sort of hard choices, like uh, Crystal Shard, the, uh, the the Return Legend, I forget what's Legacy of the Crystal Shard. Yeah. And there's like three big campaigns that are all sort of going on simultaneously, and the party has to decide which campaign they're going to get involved with, but the other ones are moving forward. Right. So it's like whichever one you pick, it doesn't matter because two others are going ahead. And I and I, I described that to the party, to the to the group of players. And they're like, oh, that sounds awesome. Like, this is really this is cool, like hard choices that matter. And then halfway into the game, my friend Sharon is like, I thought this was going to be cool. This just sucks. You know, like, oh, like, yeah. And, and that's why it's like it's Storm King's Thunder. It's like no matter what choice you make, it, all the other stuff will be OK. You know, like. <laughs> Like Waterdeep yeah. isn't going to get invaded while you're busy worrying about what's happening over in Anorak, you know. So, and so, um, you know, technically, right, with uh, Tiamat and with Princes of the Apocalypse, you know, right. failure is the fact that the realms is taken over, right? Or the yeah, area. right, right. The the, the the desperation. I think we have had a few campaigns. I think like at least I don't know if out, out of the abyss it was kind of like that, but we definitely had a bunch of campaign adventures, and that's why I think Storm King's Thunder was sort of like you know, Rick Steve's guide to the Sword Coast. Like, go ahead and take it easy. Go to Luskin for a little while. Just to hang out in Luskin. It'll be okay, you know? 
Those like, are my pet peeves of that adventure, though. It's 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 players want to don't tell me about giants and then tell me about <laughs> delivering a bottle of wine, right? Like, oh man, I, I had some great times in that adventure, but I did have a point where they're like negotiating between Crom's Hold and Daggerford, and they haven't seen a giant in three weeks, and like, the hell are we doing? Like, we're <laughs> negotiating, you know. And but you know they still had a good time and it went worked back in the story so I don't know. Don't I solve the death curse. Can I interest you in some dino races? <laughs> I'm like, shouldn't I be? No, no, do the dino races. Yeah, uh, all right. Okay. All right. It's only like twelve souls an hour. <laughs> you know that's not so bad. Tails, this has been a great pleasure as always. <laughs> you, you, I just I could I could sit for hours and just pontificate any particular topic of D and D with you and and have done so many times. We're going to do it at Winter Fantasy. Absolutely. I can't wait. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm super excited about Winter Fantasy. And, uh, and and I'm super excited about having you on the show again. Yeah, Baldwin, Game, or, yeah, Baldwin Games running, running the Winter Fantasy. I'll, I'll be judging for them again. I'm excited about that. I hope you and I get a chance to play some games together. At a, at you, you, me, James Intercasso, and the Cracked Ice. <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke no one's gonna get yeah. uh except james i think he might be in the channel so he can enjoy that uh anyway thank you very much for being on the show i i really appreciate it uh this has been a just a fantastic conversation and we'll do it Thanks again soon so much. It's, it has been a lot of fun for me too thank you to everybody uh, on where, where can people find you and what do you want to what do you want to pitch uh i am on alphastream.org my blog i am on at alphastream on twitter and I would love people to support my work on the DMs Guild, Jungle Treks, and Adamantine Chef. Uh, both of those are fantastic. When I see people buy them, I make more. Excellent. Make more. Buy them. Everyone should buy them so he'll make more because we need more. Uh, and, and Alex, thank you again for, for hosting the show, for, for managing everything. We really appreciate it. And thanks to all of you that have been watching on Twitch and all the great questions on Twitter and everybody who watches it on YouTube. And we will see you again soon. All right, thanks everybody for watching. We'll be back streaming tomorrow night at 10.30 Eastern with Adventure Maidens. Uh, otherwise, have a great night, everyone.